Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually, consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we explore yoga philosophy and practices in all of its depth and breadth. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and today our topic is knowledge in different levels of consciousness. The spiritual path is rich with paradox. Take, for example, the assertion that we are, just as we are, inherently already enlightened, along with the instruction that spiritual practice is necessary in order to be enlightened or to wake up. Is it possible to contain seemingly contradictory views within a larger context? I'm so delighted today to be joined by Rick Archer, the creator and host of the interview show and podcast, Buddha at the Gas Pump, where he graciously hosted me this year, uh, January of this year. And since the fall of 2009, he's interviewed over 520 spiritually awakening people from the well-known to the unknown, from a variety of backgrounds and traditions. A former transcendental meditation teacher, Rick instructed hundreds of people, helped to train teachers, and spent years in total on long retreats. He served in that capacity for 25 years. He earned a bachelor's and master's degrees in Vedic studies from Maharishi International University. For the past 25 years, he has been independent of any organization. His website is BatGap. Just like it sounds, B-A-T-G-A-P, Buddha at the gas pump, dot com. Welcome, Rick. I'm so delighted to connect with you today on Yoga Hour. Thank you for joining me. You're welcome, Ellen. Thanks for inviting me. And let's begin uh, this conversation this morning by just pausing for a moment. Um, for me, especially since I couldn't quite get my sound system hooked up, I could use that pause as we begin. Uh, just settle in. Om Let's take a breath, breathing in, breathing out, just bringing our attention to our breath in this moment, noticing as we inhale the feeling of the air in our nostrils, a little cool coming in, a little warmer flowing out. And just observe the breath without trying to change it. Notice its natural flow. And with each breath in, now feel that you're diving within, that you're connecting 
your whole self, body, mind, essence of being. Awake, aware, alive, radiant. In this quiet moment, we begin with just a thought to contemplate as we move into this conversation. Intellectual knowledge is useful in many areas of life, but it has limits when it comes to spiritual realization. Even accurate information will not dispel spiritual ignorance the lack of true self-knowledge or the difficulty it brings. Ignorance flees from the accurate knowledge combined with the direct perception of truth. This is spiritual realization. When we have direct perception of truth and we begin to live it, this is wisdom. With spiritual wisdom, lasting happiness is possible. And so we begin open to inquiry about how it is that we experience spiritual awakening, spiritual wisdom, and the lasting happiness that is promised on the path. Once again, Rick, welcome to the Yoga Hour. I'm so delighted to be having this conversation with you this morning mm -hmm. and want to uh, tell our listeners that, um, of course, I first connected with you on your most uh, amazing program, Buddha at the Gas Pump, and uh, and then was followed by uh, experiencing uh, you at the SAND conference and um, the Science and Non-Duality conference that occurs every year in San Jose and I think also in Italy, when people come together um, to discuss topics just like this one we're looking at today, this um, the paradox on the spiritual path is sometimes even experiencing contradictory <laughs> points of view. How do we hold all of that? So I'd like to start with just um, helping the, our listeners connect with you. Like, What drew you to Vedic studies? Well, when I was in the 60s, when I was 17 years old, I started experimenting with drugs and I, I kind of did that with a spiritual orientation, reading Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert and, you know, reading Zen books and stuff like that. And, and I realized that there was more to life than meets the eye. I realized that experientially in a rather, you know, muddled way and also intellectually in a rather muddled way. Um, but after a year of that, I realized it wasn't going to get me anywhere. Uh, it was actually going to destroy my life. And so I decided to take a more wholesome approach and uh, decided to learn to meditate. And I did that. And uh, it had such profound and immediate effects on me that I stuck with it with absolute regularity and have done so for 51 years now. Mm. So, you know, getting interested in Vedanta and Vedic studies and all that was a natural sort of um, progression in that whole same theme uh, that started when I was a teenager. Mm. 
So it was just at the time when those teachings from the East were um, really becoming prevalent in in the U.S. and and uh, even in our music, um, Beatles were <laughs> were oh, yeah. talking about it. <laughs> it was a time, and uh, of course there were there were many um, that you know drugs, psychedelic drugs, um, opened the window, you know, into it altered states of consciousness but um you know in the teachings have revealed and and for for most of us in our own experience that um it doesn't create uh, a lasting uh well I, I would say it gives us a an insight but it it like your experience it, it keeping on it doesn't it doesn't work it only leads down it doesn't seem to uh, continue to keep that door open and have one explore um, more deeply so yeah, I think it might have been Alan Watts who said when you've gotten the message hang up the phone <laughs> yeah I think that that's that sums it up really really well um, so then, you know, after your, of course, your own deep studies and uh, experiences with uh, with meditation, um, what would you say? You know, uh, how would you sort of sum up? Was it the greatest benefit of meditation, since that seemed to be where you turned and and where you studied and what you've practiced? Well, speaking from my own experience, um, from the very first sitting, day one. I, it it's always had such a nourishing, rejuvenating influence on me. Um, you know, I've always felt my mind, again, from the first sitting, sinking to a, a deep level and have come out of that, uh, you know, with cl clearer perception, you know, more energy, um, more better judgment. Uh, I'm, I was making very poor decisions back in those days, and I, I had dropped out of high school and gotten arrested a couple of times, and my life turned around dramatically. I mean, within a few months, I had gotten a job and made amends with my father and gotten back into school, and, you know, things progressed from there. So um, it kind of aligns you, I would say. To, I mean, there's so many things you could say in, in answer to this question, but it aligns you with a deeper intelligence that... Um, is orchestrating the universe and if you align yourself with that intelligence then you have its support and mm -hmm. your life begins to flow much more successfully and of course there are exceptions to this and we always have our difficulties and our karma to deal with and so on but um and you know there are always challenges but it gives you more resources with which to meet those challenges it does, and and it seems that you know you also took the path of um, cooperating with uh, the infinite and cooperating with clearing up your life. Um, I, I know that you know uh, back at that time that that there were many who tried doing both. In other words, they tried to continue on with the drugs and meditate, and then and then there was the conclusion that meditation doesn't work. But um, it's, of course, it's kind of like the elephant. He washes himself off in the river, and then he gets out and throws mud on his back again. You know? <laughs> or to use another metaphor, you're trying to fill the bathtub, but you haven't plugged up the drain, so the water keeps draining out. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, and another metaphor that I like is that our, our meditation and spiritual practices is like heating up a rock, you know, getting it uh, just ready hot and then every time we you know do what is not conducive to enhancing awareness is like 
pouring cold water on it. So, yeah. and so it looked like, you know, for you that you definitely took the path, um, which, which I did too. And it took me a while, you know, to turn my life in that direction, but I did. And I realized that, you know, it's not just meditation, but it is, um, structuring your life in such a way, you know, that, that you can follow that, uh, inspiration. Yeah. Well, one thing, I mean, one reason I took drugs is that I liked the experience, but as soon as I had learned to meditate, I found that my experience all the time was better than drug experiences had been temporarily. Mm-hmm. And so I could, I only saw drugs as something that would bring me down rather than make me high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is very true. And, um, it seems that no, you know, there's a, there's a long connection between drug use and uh, search for spirituality, and, and and even with alcohol, you know, in the twelve-step program, the people who started that said, you know, it's it's basic. People are looking for a way to alter their consciousness. You know, they're trying to get out of ordinary um, consciousness, ordinary uh, reality, thinking mind. So that that's a common experience, and um, it's a blessing that you uh, came upon um, yoga teachings, uh, Vedic teachings. And, and could dive into that and, um, and then um, become so active in the way that you are of, of sharing these deep conversations with people. And um, your Buddha at the Gas Pump is, is a very, very popular site and um, it's a wonderful forum, you know, what you do um, in terms of asking deep questions and uh, you're really good at it. It's really interesting. And so what, how did you come to do that program, Buddha at the Gas Pump? And of course, I want to know, and I'm guessing our listeners do too, like, okay, how'd you come up with that title, which is so compelling. (laughs) It's just great. Uh, Well, for quite a few years uh, before I started Bat Gap, I was in a weekly satsang that we had here in in town and there wasn't any particular teacher in 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 it there was just a group of people many of whom had undergone significant awakening and we just sat around and talked for a few hours every wednesday night and i had a tendency to ask people questions you know to probe and the the host of the thing in whose living room we held it kept saying stop asking questions you're interviewing people stop interviewing people (laughs) and and finally at one point i was out in the garage working out on a Bowflex machine. And I thought, you know, I should actually interview people. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So I had the idea. I I mentioned it to that guy who had told me to stop interviewing people. And he thought it was great. And he kept kind of egging me on to do it. And and I started out thinking it was just going to be a radio show on my local station here. And in fact, if you look at batgap.com and go back to the first interview, you'll see a demo show that I did on that radio station. But that wasn't really going anywhere. The station didn't really want to do it. And so friends encouraged me to get it out on the Internet and make it a bigger thing. And I didn't come up with the name Buddha at the gas pump. I I was going to call it something trite like Awakenings or something like that. And uh, But I wasn't satisfied with that. So I just asked some the folks in that group if anybody had any ideas. And this young guy in his mid-20s just batted out a list of a dozen ideas, one of which was Buddha at the gas pump. And everybody said, yeah, that's it. Call it that. <laughs> so that's how we got the title. Mm-hmm. It's it's fabulous. And of course, it, you know, it brings together um, the worlds, um, this world of enlightenment in our ordinary everyday enlightenment. It's it's a wonderful 
title. And, and yeah, my wife and I are wondering what we're going to call it when it's all electric cars in a few years. You know, it's going to be oh. kind of an anachronism. <laughs> oh, <something> yeah. <laughs> I, I hadn't thought about that. You know, I, I do find these days there are many examples that I've given in my talks that uh, if I'm speaking with younger people, there's no context for them. So, uh, yeah, we do have to adjust. Um, and you're, you're also... Um, looking at uh, when your byline says conversations with ordinary spiritually awakened or spiritually awakening people and um so why do you say ordinary and uh you know what's that what is that about well that also came out of the experience i had here in town which is that you know a number of friends of mine had said wow you know i, I really have had this profound awakening i i feel like i uh, you know, pure awareness is maintained 24 hours a day or some such thing. They describe their awakening and they would tell friends and friends would say, ah, you're just ordinary. You know, it couldn't mm -hmm. happen to you. You don't seem like you're floating two feet off the ground. And, and so some of these people got intimidated and wouldn't talk about it anymore with friends. And so I thought, all right, I want to start showcasing people who have had this experience so that their peers can see that it does happen to regular people and that it could therefore happen to them. Um, because I, you know, some of the people who were giving him a hard time had been meditating for decades themselves, but had sort of given up on the idea of any kind of profound awakening. Um, so, you know, people like Eckhart Tolle and Rupert Spira and all these people—they're ordinary. I mean, if you get to know them, they—they—they're uh, eloquent and they've definitely had some kind of profound realization. But they're people. And, you know, the Buddha and Jesus and all these people, we, we kind of put them in the clouds as being unattainable, um, you know, ideals. But even they emphasize that everyone can experience what they were experiencing. It's just a matter of kind of locating it within yourself. And so I think it's important to get that idea across. I totally do. And, you know, in my tradition of, of Kriya Yoga, it's it's one of the fundamental tenets of our teaching that, you know, everybody is um, destined to wake up at some point. And um, one of the biggest obstacles we have to that is the idea that it's not possible for us. And, and of course, there's a, uh, a long history of... Um, emphasizing that, you know, that only special ones uh, wake up. But the masters themselves <laughs> say, you know, that that reality that is within me, it's within you as well. I mean, that's their that's their message. And so I, I've never read any of the great sages who said, I woke up and, you know, it's only me. <laughs> yeah. And also, these guys didn't really want you to believe what they were saying. They want you to they wanted you to experience what they were experiencing. And the the belief part is only sort of a teaser, like, you know, hey, this is possible. And you don't really have, to, I mean, it doesn't do any good just to believe that and not to experience it. But if you sort of take it as a hypothesis, something that you could explore experientially, then, you know, it's some, it gets you going in the right direction. Absolutely. And, you know, that's going to have a little teaser for the next part of our program where we sort of dive into this idea of, um, paradox and um we just have a break in a few minutes but let's just start with um what inspired you to talk about knowledge and different levels of consciousness when you gave your talk at uh, the science and non-duality conference well you've probably heard the old metaphor of the blind men feeling the elephant you know and one person says it's like a rope and the other says it's like a snake and the other says it's like a wall and the other says it's like a tree because they're feeling different 
parts of the elephant, you know, the side or the tail or the trunk or the, the leg. Um, and you see people, the reason that's a popular metaphor is that people do that all the time. They, they take a limited perspective and they try to make it absolute. They try to, to, to insist that it represents the totality and it doesn't. And this is this happens in many fields of life, you know, politics, for instance. But it also <laughs> happens. <laughs> it also happens in spirituality, where people will take a statement such as, like you said in your intro, such as "you're already enlightened," mm -hmm. and um, they'll kind of hammer on that and use it to um, dismiss anything which you know traditionally might be thought of as a path to enlightenment. How could there be a path if you're already there? Um, and I think this people this does people a disservice. It creates confusion. So, you know, nature itself is full of paradox, and we can talk about that more. And actually, it isn't. Nature just seems like it's full of paradox because we don't have as complete a perspective as nature itself has. Um, so, for instance, you know, scientists say, well, light is both a particle and a wave, depending on whether or not you're observing it, or um, you know, things which seem solid and material are actually mostly empty space. Or they say empty space actually isn't empty. At the level of the vacuum state, there's more energy in a cubic centimeter of so-called empty space than there is in the whole manifest universe. Um, so there are all these th things that science has shown us, which from our limited human perspective seem paradoxical, but nature seems to operate quite fine with those inherent so-called paradoxes. Um, now, why did I get off on this tangent? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you were just talking about, you know, how, how knowledge can exist at different levels of consciousness and that somehow, you know, it's a matter of, um, when I look at it, it's a matter of um, having a, an expanded awareness to a degree that you can actually hold paradox. You know, if you're operating at a more literal level, um, then of course, you know, your viewpoint is going to seem like the only valid one. <laughs> so, um, you know, I remember my, my teacher would say, you know, that, that the, um, that that those who have a small amount of knowledge argue and the masters sit down and have tea. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it, it is sort of like that. Although um, I think we also get what, what you're describing of, you know, people having a certain experience on some place in this spectrum of consciousness and they begin teaching from that perspective but it sounds like it's the only perspective, you know, like there's, there's only, um, you know, you're already enlightened. And so, no, you don't, you don't need to try to get there. And in fact, that's an impediment. Right. And uh, so then that sounds like it, um, you know, is, is dissing, <laughs> you know, those who have a spiritual path and a practice. And yeah, so that's, that that's what time. we're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one way of looking at it is if, you know, if we talk about enlightenment, what does that really mean? It, to my understanding, it means um, sort of shifting one's identity to the realization that one actually is the totality. You know, Brahman, those sayings from the Upanishads, you know, that thou art. And, um, one is that totality, and the totality is all-encompassing. It's the repository of all relative realities, all relative perspectives, no matter how contradictory. So if we aspire to that, to the realization of that totality, to Brahman consciousness or God realization, then our 
our perspective should evolve accordingly. It should move in the direction of feeling comfortable with embracing or, or incorporating contradictory perspectives or paradoxes. And one of them, of course, is I am that ultimate reality. Um, you could say I am God from that perspective, Brahman, um, but I actually don't run the universe. Uh, and there's certain days when I, I feel like I might, but, <laughs> but but there's that paradox right there. That's one that people really have a hard time like, well, how can I be that uh, ultimate reality? How can I be, quote unquote, God? And um, I don't run the universe. Well, there's a saying in the Vedas that uh, Brahman is the charioteer. So that is running the universe. And, but there's also the saying that thou art that, you are Brahman. So mm-hmm. on a, at a certain level, you are running the universe. But if, if you're referring to the I named Ellen or Rick or, you know, that has this sort of individual sphere of influence, then obviously that individuality is not running the universe. It's our universal nature. Uh, which we can tap into, which we can actually reside in consciously, that runs the universe. <laughs> yeah, I think I would. I think I would agree with that. And we can't. Uh, and that's just just a classic case of of mixing those levels. And that was really a, a lovely way to um, describe it. And so that's just really a case of both and, isn't yep. it? Yeah. And this, I don't know when we need to take our break, but this whole thing about. Um, you know, there are no problems and everything is perfect just as it is. That's true at a certain level. I mean, let's look at that. Let's break that down for a second. There's, we could say there's a level at which nothing has ever happened. And Ramana said that. And other sages have said nothing ever happened. Um, but then there's a level at which we could say, yeah, things are happening and they're perfect just as they are because it's all divinely ordained and orchestrated. You know, everything is perfect just as it is, uh, including all the, the so-called negative stuff. But there's another level at which there's definitely problems. There's malaria and hunger and global warming and, and all kinds of problems that need to be dealt with, uh, not by dismissing them as unreal, but by actually dealing with them um, specifically. And I would say not is dealing with them on their own level, but not dealing with them exclusively on their own level, because if we don't get these other levels into play, then solutions, as Einstein said, at the level of consciousness which created them, turn out not to be solutions. So, go ahead. Yeah, I just going to say, I... Uh, I just was kind of took a big in breath when you said that. That is a it really a topic I want to dive into, mm-hmm. like how it is that we can hold these different levels of consciousness and awareness about what's going on in our world, say with climate change, and that we need to um, own up to it. We need to deal with it on the level that we're experiencing it, but we also need to bring other levels into the perspective. So that's where we're going to go right after the break because that's a really um, juicy topic for us. And um, so let's do that. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with guest Rick Archer, creator and host of the interview show Buddha at the Gas Pump, which is heard as a podcast and can also be viewed on YouTube. You can learn more about his program and his uh, really fascinating guests on his website, which is batgap.com. 
And we welcome uh, your feedback, questions, or comments. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and we'll be back from the break, and we'll talk about this uh, levels of how do we um, take action when where nothing ever happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Diane Ray, Program Director for Unity Online Radio. And from all of us at UnityOnlineRadio.org, thanks for your support and for helping us grow this year. We wish you a joyous holiday season. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, living the eternal way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm here today with Rick Archer, the creator and host of the interview program, Buddha at the Gas Pump. And we're talking about the contradictory or seemingly contradictory points of view within the larger context of discussion of spirituality. And we sort of left off with um, this tension point um, between the idea that at the level of um, supreme consciousness, let's say, of absolute reality that is unchanging, nothing ever happens. And yet, of course, at the level of um, material reality, things are changing and happening all the time. And so it raises the question, and and Rick, just before the break, you, you were talking about you know that the problems that we are facing in our our world today um, that we need to um, address them at the level that they're happening, but that we also need to bring forth um, this higher level of awareness. What we want to call it higher, um, it's a spiritual awareness. And so I wanted to follow up with that and um, just sort of um, draw that out a little bit more. You know, because I think sometimes people do have that sense of, you know, if you're um, anchored in in spiritual awareness. Awareness. You just see that it's all karma unfolding. It's uh, moving time and change. And, um, you know, spiritual uh, yogis are not uh, activists. Although, you know, we do see a lot of that changing today. And so um, tell me a little bit about what you're seeing in terms of um, people who are... Uh, spiritually awakened or awakening and who are also engaged in activism in some form. I think that whether one engages in activism or not may be a question of dharma. You know, it's some people's dharma to be more reclusive and others to be more active. But there have been plenty of examples of very spiritual people throughout history who have been um, both deeply spiritual and very active. I mean, Mahatma Gandhi and Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela and uh, Sri Aurobindo and Yogananda himself lived a very active life, did he not? Um, he, he surely did. <laughs> yeah, or somebody like Amma, you know, who is, you know, profoundly spiritual and at the same time is setting up hospitals and orphanages, you know, schools and building homes for tsunami victims and giving pensions to widows and just doing all this stuff. So, you know, these people probably would concur with the notion or some of them that um at the most fundamental level of reality it's all pure being pure silence nothing's happening but they don't use that perspective to um dismiss 
the relative levels of existence and you know render unto caesar what is caesar's they they deal with each level at its appropriate level you know appropriately um it's like if you have a dream um that you're hungry then food in the waking state isn't going to satisfy your hunger in the dream state and vice versa each state has its own reality and has to be dealt with in it accordingly yeah, and uh, you know, and you, you were you were mentioning, you know, before the break that that we need to bring that awakened level of consciousness in to to actually come to bear on these problems that we're facing today. And of course, you know, many have said that you know nothing nothing will change in terms of the trajectory of um, ignorance in our world in these manifestations. Um, nothing will change um, without consciousness changing. I and agree. so, um, you know, I, I agree with that. And um, so, you know, how do we hold that um, tension? <laughs> well, let's say you have a tree that isn't doing well. So, you know, it's withering, it seems to be dying. So there might be things you can do to the leaves and the branches of the tree that will help it in some way. But chances are you really have to do something at the level of the root, you know, provide some water or some fertilizer or something, because that's the level from which the whole manifest phase of the tree derives its nourishment. Um, so like that, I think everything we see in the world, uh, everything we see going on and reported on the evening news, is an expression or a reflection or a manifestation of the collective consciousness. And the collective consciousness is the conglomeration of all the individual consciousnesses, <laughs> all the people in the world with a certain level of consciousness, certain quality of consciousness, collectively produce a certain influence, and that manifests in our social and economic and political systems. Um, so... You know, it's good to work. Somebody, people need to work on the levels of those systems. Some, it's some people's role to do that. But at the same time, if we don't raise collective consciousness by raising individual consciousness, then I don't think those systems are ever going to work out satisfactorily. It's kind of like you can't spray paint a forest green and hope it to, to really become a green green forest. You have to kind of make sure every tree in the forest is actually healthy and therefore green. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I totally uh, agree. And, um, you know, uh, when we were chatting uh, offline during the break about, you know, there's there's likely no coincidence between the crisis that we face, say, with climate change and the pressure um, for people to wake up. And, um, you know, it just, of course, in our lifetime, you know, we, we had that powerful shift, planetary shift of being able to see the earth from space and to see our oneness reflected to us, you know, in a way that, you know, no, nobody had at other, any other point in time that we know. So there is that consciousness, that shift of awareness that, oh, there really are no little country lines, you know, on the earth. There's just this beautiful jewel in space and that's where we all live. And, um, and so, you know, we were sort of tasked, I think, you know, to begin to uh, live in such a way that reflects that. And now we have a great uh, crisis with the climate um, around that issue. 
of, you know, not recognizing our relationship with the earth, um, the connection between um, how we live and how it affects the planet and how it affects other people. So there's this pressure for us to, you know, really get that, you know, what that image means. Yeah. If you think of a place that's like five or six miles away from you, uh, and you think of how easy it would be to drive there, how quickly you could get there. Now imagine being able to drive straight up, um, you know, vertically. If you could do that, you would die by the time you got five or six miles up within a minute or two. Uh, that's how thin our atmosphere is. And yet we dump trillions of tons of junk into it all the time. And we've been doing that for a long time. And, you know, to, to think that... Um, that has no impact is really absurd and to deny the impact that it's actually having is criminal but not, and that's totally a tangent off the talk of what we've been talking about but I, i'm just so fervent on this issue that i had to state it mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah i i am too and i you know as we're of course we're talking in um december and we're gonna uh, enter into the new year soon and you know i i really it's kind of always a time for me to reflect on the season and you know look at the year ahead and you know um what is going to take priority for me and um this is a time topic that also, you know, I feel very passionate about. And, um, and, and it is actually relevant, you know, to this topic, this conversation that we're having. It's like, how do we hold these things? You know, how do we, how do we stay uh, calm and serene <laughs> as meditators and connected to the deepest truth about life and um, still, you know, work uh, for positive change? And, and that's kind of connected to that question, you know, that, that we brought up in the beginning of just talking about paradox which is okay if we're already enlightened why do we need a spiritual practice and is this whole idea of spiritual practice um, in a sense uh, working against us you know um, do you get involved in spiritual practice in such a way that you're trying to become spiritual which is counterproductive (laughs) well if we're already enlightened then that means everybody is already enlightened and everybody always whoever lived was already enlightened that means hitler was enlightened paul was enlightened, Idi Amin was enlightened, you know, all these people. But obviously they weren't really uh, good human beings. Uh, so there was room for improvement, we could say. Uh, so, and that's true of all of us to some degree. So even though fundamentally, essentially, ultimately, you know, we are that immutable being, which uh, so many scriptures have written about so beautifully, um, the realization of that and the embodiment of that realization are different matters altogether. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's one thing, let's say, to, to say, okay, I'm a king, I'm a king, I'm a king. And another thing to actually assume the throne. Or, or to use another metaphor, let's say you actually have won the, the lottery and um, you have the lottery ticket in your sock drawer and you don't realize that you've won the lottery or you've forgotten that the ticket is even there and you're begging on the street. Hey, you're a multimillionaire. Why are you begging on the street? Well, because you haven't taken the steps necessary to claim the prize, so to speak. <laughs> That's a great example. That's really, really a good one, yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And you know, sometimes I think about um, and when, you know, when I teach about it, that you know, spiritual practice 
um, in a sense, is adjusting our lives so that we actually live in harmony with the truth of our being. So it's not like trying to get there. It's it's a, a way of um, truthful living, if you will, living in harmony with that truth of our being. So, you know, we, we meditate um, because that's consistent <laughs> with, with, with our own nature. Yeah, it enables us to actually experience our own nature. Um, and then having experienced it uh, and experiencing it repeatedly, the experience becomes more and more and more stable. And we begin to live from that state. And then, and to act accordingly. There's that verse in the Gita, you know, which says, um, be without the three gunas, which would mean transcend mm -hmm. or realize the self. And then three verses later, established in yoga, perform action. Mm. Established in yoga. Mm -hmm. And yeah, to be skillful in, in action. Yeah, and... yoga karma sukoshalam. Mm -hmm. Yoga is skill in action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you know, as you, you're you're mentioning the the gunas, that you know, part of our practice, of course, is is arranging conditions to, um, in a sense, bring more sattva, you know, more illumination <laughs> into the mind, um, but but ultimately. Um, you know, to as the, the teachings say, to go even beyond that, um, um, to not be trying to create a spiritual condition, um, but to just be living from the truth of our being. Yeah, and you know that speaking of sattva, there's a saying uh, I forget the Sanskrit, but it's the means collect around sattva. So as sattva accumulates, then you could say you get more support from. Mm -hmm nature you could say things just seem to work out for you more um more easily or more readily mm. oh i really like that <laughs> that's that's in, in a way it's kind of like things collect around the light yeah um, that that's a lovely lovely way of viewing it um let's let's dive into another one of the difficult questions which of course sages um philosophers have been talking about for as long as you know i i can see which is do we have free will or is it all divine will yeah i would say yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah me too um, i mean i think you have to be true to your own experience uh, there may be s states or a state where, you know, you're so immersed in the divine that there's little sense of individuality and you, you really just seem to be on autopilot, you know, acting out the will of the divine. But that's not the average person's experience. Um, the average person's experience seems to be, you know, it is that we seem to be making choices and we have we have to discriminate between this and that and we're tempted by this and we and then we use our discrimination and say, no, that's not such a good idea. I guess I'll do that. And, you know, we can philosophize about all that being sort of automatic, even though it doesn't seem automatic. But practically speaking, I mean, I've heard examples. And the reason this is an important question is I've heard numerous examples of people doing atrocious things and then just using free will as a uh, lack of free will as an alibi. You know, it's almost like that old saying, the devil made me do it, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah, so you have to be true goodness, to your... The goonas made me do it. Yeah, right. The goonas <laughs> made me do it or, or whatever. So, I, and, and my experience has always been that, you know, there's a certain degree of wiggle room. 
you obviously there's certain things you are not free to do. You can't, you know, fly through the air just because you might want to, or, you know, walk through a wall. Um, but there's a certain degree of wiggle room and you have a certain degree of freedom. And if you exercise that freedom in the direction of more sattva, to use that example, then the freedom increases. Um, and if you exercise it in the direction of more tamas or more negative stuff, then the freedom decreases. Let's say you, you know, are tempted to use to take opioids. Well, your freedom decreases because you get addicted to them, and then you're bound in that in a tighter and tighter cycle of 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 suffering. Um, so, you know, I, go ahead. Yeah, that's a that's a really good example, a really great way of looking at it, and you know, just to uh, sort of bring more juice to our to our to the question, you know, there's the question um, from teachings of yoga, Vedic philosophy, is you know, can we actually make anything happen? And you know, there's the teachings about the different factors of action. You know, there's the, the doer and the plan, and, and then there's always the unknown factor. So, you know, at the at this higher level of understanding, you know, we can't control whether we're going to take the next breath or not. So, you know, sometimes there's that, that just wipes out the whole thing of the idea that we could actually make anything happen. Well, as I saying, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Um, and... Uh... You know, since you're familiar with the Gita, there there are verses in the Gita which seem to argue both different points of view. There there, there <laughs> yep. are verses which go on and on about how you are not the doer and you are not the actor and everything is conducted by the gunas of nature and you know you you're just a witness to it. And then there there are other verses like you have control over action alone, mm. never never over its fruits. You right. Know? Um, so and and obviously the whole story was. Um, situation in which Krishna was trying to get Arjuna to stand up and take decisive action. Mm-hmm. He was he wasn't just saying, "Oh, do whatever happens," you know, because you don't have any control, man. <laughs> he was saying, "Get up and do this. Exactly. Thing. You have to do it." <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's really good. And you know, somehow as we've been talking, I've been thinking about even I think it somebody put it into a song in the '60s or something, which was, "All is karma, all is grace." Hmm. That's nice. <laughs> It's a it's a really interesting way to hold it, and I think that is true for me. And there's there's there's, there's that mix of karma, of our own action, um, and the results of our actions in the past, and and there is divine grace. So it it, it really is um, lovely to contemplate that and uh, to be able to hold that tension of uh, all is karma, all is grace. Yeah. So again, we're 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 on the theme of paradox, um, and they're just we could talk all day about different paradoxes in nature and in life and so on. And the um, what what it comes back to is just broadening our perspective and becoming comfortable with paradox. I think it was, you know, Nisargadatta Maharaj who said that. Um, being comfortable with paradox and ambiguity is a sign of spiritual progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think so as well. And and again, I think you're moving on the spectrum of consciousness, if we can call it that, you know, from uh, at, at the literal level, people always argue, 
you know, about my teaching, my philosophy versus your teaching, your my God versus your God. Um, but then as uh, consciousness expands, as we become more awake, I think we do have the ability to hold um, paradox. And then it also seems to me that we have a certain responsibility um, to respect people's differences of how they worship and how they see the divine. Um, and well, you, you, with you and I, I think it's a professional necessity. We wouldn't be able to do these interviews <laughs> if we weren't comfortable with all the different viewpoints and so on. It, it's true. And I, and I think that, you know, and some of the scriptures say that it's, um, you know, like it's a sin, if we could say that, to... Um, discourage someone from their path, mm-hmm. um, you know, from their spiritual path. So, um, yeah, so I, I remember hearing some quote recently from some famous teacher. They, they asked the teacher, somebody asked the teacher, well, what is the best practice for me to do? And the teacher said, the best practice for you to do is the practice that you will actually do. <laughs> yeah. So, you yeah. know, from my perspective, if somebody wants to be a Hare Krishna or a fundamentalist Christian or a Scientologist or whatever, that's their choice. And uh, I'm not saying, you know, go to Jonestown if there were such a thing today. Uh, and I take down interviews whenever I discover that the scene around a particular teacher has become uh, toxic uh, or or that I would not feel comfortable recommending someone go there. But, you know, if but there's a tremendous amount of value in, in so many different things. Nothing is probably 100 percent perfect in one in one way of putting it. But perhaps, you know, for the person engaged in a particular thing, it's perfect for them at that time. Maybe mm-hmm. later something they'll evolve or grow or shift into something else. I agree. And, you know, that was actually one of the things that attracted me to the path of yoga um, because it, um, f- at least how I learned it and practiced it, it feels like a pretty big tent <laughs> mm-hmm. that, you know, it, it allows for people who are devotional in nature. It allows um, for people to worship the divine in form or without, um, which I felt was completely revolutionary. And I, I could just really appreciate that. But then again, you know, there's a capacity to hold both of that, you know, is, is God in form or without? And, uh, you know, I, I have heard of that, uh, that Ramana Maharshi would ask, you know, devotees, well, how do you want to talk about the divine, you know, with form or without? <clears throat> yeah. Um, let's see, there's a couple of questions I noticed you wrote down in the notes you wanted to ask me. Let's, let's see if we can get through these in, uh, before we end. One is, um, does non-duality or oneness imply that there are no degrees of spiritual evolution? Um, and I would say, no, it doesn't imply that. And, and we, perhaps this is a bit redundant, but um, there are degrees to which we can realize oneness or non-duality, um, the, but the fact that ultimately there is oneness does not mean that it doesn't negate the idea that it can be realized in greater and greater fullness. Mm-hmm. And it, and it seems that you know the nature of uh, absolute reality as being all-inclusive and expansive would in fact imply that <laughs> that that you know, as you awaken, um, that you would, 
your consciousness would continue to expand. I don't, I don't see yeah. why not. There's something in the in the Vedic tradition called kalas, and they're said to be 16 kalas, which are like levels of evolution. And it's said that the humans occupy the fourth through eighth kala. I don't know if this is true or not, but let's say it is. Um, then, you know, if that's true, then the greatest sages who ever walked to earth were only about halfway there in terms of what's possible in terms of spiritual evolution. Uh, <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah. And, you know, I think, as you mentioned earlier in the program, Rick, that, you know, one of the best things to do is to check out our own experience. <laughs> and, um, you know, for me, um, you know, my own insight and understanding is is completely uh, evolving and changing all the time, you know, and I consider that a good thing. Um that um, this how I see and understand the teachings, the reality itself, uh, who I am, what I am, you know, continues to um, evolve. And that's what I would want from a spiritual path. Yeah, I mean, to me, someone saying I'm completely enlightened sounds like someone saying I'm completely educated. You know? <laughs> <laughs> does, does that mean you can't learn one more thing? Is your brain full? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good way to say it. Well, we are nearing the end of the program, and so I just want to ask you quickly um, for just a last word from you of inspiration to share with our listeners. Well, you know, there's a lot of people hurting out there these days, um, struggling, having to work two, three jobs, and, you know, getting addicted to substances and, you know, confronting all kinds of problems and difficulties. And I would say that, you know, if you bite into, let's say, an orange, it, it, it's, it's bitter. You know, ooh, I wouldn't want to eat this fruit. It's bitter. But if you peel it first and then eat it, you discover that the inner quality of the orange is sweet. So the surface value of life without recourse to the deeper values of life can be very bitter, can be very difficult. Uh, but I would just encourage people to explore the possibility that there, that we are just sort of touching the surface in, in general and that there are deeper dimensions or strata of existence which can be experienced, which can be unfathomed and lived. And when one does so, the whole picture of life changes, the whole experience of life changes. And, you know, what was once bitter and difficult might become very blissful and profound and fulfilling and awe-inspiring. Mm. Thank you so much. What a beautiful inspiration and that, um, that hope, you know, that life can indeed be sweet and, um, and we can enjoy it as we learn to uh, cooperate with the infinite. You didn't say that part, but I'm yes, adding same it idea. in. So, <laughs> so thank you so much, Rick. It's just a delight to talk with you as always. And um, I want to encourage the listeners to visit your site. Uh, Buddha at the gas pump. They'll find uh, lots of interesting conversations there. You can listen to the podcast and also watch the interviews on YouTube. And that's at uh, batgap.com. And uh, you can find my talk with Rick there, which was really uh, delightful. That was in Jan January 21st of this year. And so thanks again, Rick, for being with us here on Yoga Hour. And 
And next week, I'm going to be back with you talking with Stephen Cope, the founder and former director of Kripalu Institute in Massachusetts. Uh, and he's now scholar in residence there and author of many books. And we're going to be talking about how we can be fully human as well as spiritually mature in the modern world. So kind of a continuation of this conversation I've been having here with Rick. You can find out more about classes and programs I offer on my uh, author website. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today.